Well, good morning and welcome. My name is John, if you don't know me. Uh, if you're joining us online and those of you in, in person, just be aware I have a little bit part of my sermon that's uh, audience participation, so pay attention and, and we'll get to that eventually. Uh, but and we'll make sure this sucker's working. Um, my scripture today comes from 1 John uh, chapter 3. See what love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Little children, let us love not in word or speech, but in truth and action. And by this we will know that we are from the truth and will reassure our hearts before him whenever our hearts condemn us. For God is greater than our hearts, and he knows everything. Beloved, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have boldness before God, and we receive from him whatever we ask, because we obey his commandments and do what pleases him. So our our question for today that I think our scripture and, and what I'll be asking us of today is, who am I? Now, Although I'm excited to share a little bit about me, I don't mean just me, I mean who are you? Uh, What does it mean uh, to be who you are? And this is somewhat of a difficult question, and I I think it's really core to our life and is something that we may wrestle with through our life. So as I begin, I want to ask us to think about a a question similar to that, and and, uh, the question is, so, so what does it mean to be a part of your family? So in other words, what does it mean uh, to be a Duff or a Smith or a Jones or uh, a Morgan? Like, what does that mean to you? And think about that for a sec. So for me, uh, part of what it means to be a Duff is like uh, we finish what we start, right? Like that integrity of following through. And, and to me, that's part of what it means uh, to be a Duff. Uh, but the question is deeper this today than what it means to be a part of your family. It's who are you as an individual? And what does it mean to be you? And so this is the question of identity, right? Who am I? And, and as I've uh, grown in my life, I've realized that the question of identity presses hard on us when we're young. Uh, think about middle school going through puberty and then high school trying to figure out who you are into college where they rush you through and make you choose what you want to do with your life and what you want to study and then into adulthood where you have a career and you're just trying to figure out who you are. But I've also come to the conclusion from working with people of all ages that this question still presses upon us, and we have to wrestle or struggle with this question throughout our life and throughout our different stages of life, right? As as I move into adulthood, as as the pandemic comes and I I don't have a job anymore, uh, who am I after that? Who am I as a parent? Who am I as a retired person? And you see, uh, the problem with this question is that most of us answer the question uh, pretty wrong most of the time, in, in my opinion. And I think we have three ways that we answer this question that is not exactly the way God wants us to. And the first way we answer this question is by, I am what I do, right? After you meet someone for the first time, you know their name, you're probably going to ask them the question, well, what do you do? And while I realize this is a a good question to ask, to kind of find some common ground and to figure out something about this other person, I also realize that I think it reflects our culture in the way we value other people based on what they do, based on their job, right? 
But the problem is, if we measure ourselves by I am what I do, then performance is key, and when I do something good, I feel great about myself, but then when I mess up, or I fail, I feel bad again, you know? And and I am what I do, what it means is that how I contribute to society defines me, right? And then, and then sometimes when we, as we grow older, it's not as much I am what I do anymore, but it's like, look at what I've done. Look at my trophies, right? Whether I've, however I've added to society, whether I won awards, I wrote a book or a paper, or even for some of it, it's, well, look at my kids that I brought into the world, right? And these are my trophies, One of my best friends in seminary, he, uh, all through his life up until college, played soccer. He was extremely gifted athletically, and soccer was his sport of choice, and he played all through middle school, high school. His life revolved around soccer, going to practices and tournaments, and then he went to the University of South Carolina on a scholarship for Division I soccer, so he was a Division I athlete, and then his senior year, Uh, He had a career-ending injury at the beginning of the season. He was the starting forward, and he broke his ankle, and all of a sudden, his life was no longer wrapped up in soccer, and he didn't know who he was. And, And because of that, he went through a stage in his life of drugs and alcohol where he was searching for something that he didn't really know until God found him again. For me, this gets wrapped up in my perfectionism. I call myself a recovering uh, perfectionist. I, I like to do things well, and I, and I work hard to do everything right. And, and it's easy to see this kind of as we look back on our lives. So I look back on my youth, and I remember uh, as a young person, I played trombone, and I really loved trombone. I was in all the different bands. There was jazz band, orchestra, you know, marching band, all these different things. And I absolutely did love uh, doing that, but I also realized in my life, that trombone and band was also for me something that I could be good at, right? Something that I could practice really hard, that I could go to auditions and and get achievements for. And so that is the way my perfectionism worked out. And the problem with that, though, is when we base our value on our, um, on what we do and our achievements, then all we do is remember, we remember the negatives more than anything. And I, I remember out of all the auditions that I had, there was one audition that sticks out because it, it was a really big audition and I had practiced really hard and I had done my best to do well in, in preparing. And I remember that day walking in to the audition and uh, I just couldn't get the notes out. And, and it wasn't that I hadn't prepared or, or whatnot. It was just that day I, I couldn't play it well. And, and it was just horrible, for lack of a better word. And I remember leaving that audition room and being like, well, <laughs> that went bad. I, like, I'm not going to get the thing that I wanted or the achievement or, or whatever. And that's what I remember more than any of the other good auditions I had. I remember the bad one, right? And so that's what happens when we define ourselves by I am what I do. The second way we often define ourselves is by uh, what others say about me. I am what others say about me, right? So when someone says something nice about me, gives me a compliment, I feel great. I'm, I'm awesome, flying good. But then when someone criticizes me or talks behind my back, I feel bad and I'm down for the whole day. And that ruins my mood, ruins my whole day, um, 
because of what someone says about me. And, and we live in an age of social media uh, where social media magnifies and deepens these pains because we live in a culture of likes, right? And we know more than ever whether someone likes us or, well, someone approves of our life because they can literally hit a button and tell us, and then we compare those numbers to other people, and we know whether people like us or not, right? And although I don't super get into uh, the social media world, I know uh, what it feels like to care about what others think about me. This probably is one of uh, my greatest struggles, so I'm kind of the pastoral type, obviously. And us pastoral types, we care about people, but too often it turns into caring about what people think, right? And so that truly is one of my struggles in life, and I realize that it shapes my actions too much of the time. And really deep down, one of my great desires is basically this. I just want, um, what I want is I just want everybody to say, man, look at that John Duff guy. He's pretty awesome. Like, (laughs) that's basically what I want. And I know that that drives my actions far too much of the time. So I am what I do. I am what others say about me. And, And lastly, we too often define ourselves by I am what I have. I, I recently got on the Mint app, which puts all your finances together in one place, and you can, it really helps you organize your money and get ready. Um, but as I was looking at the app, I realized that at the top, they had this, the top line is this network, net worth, and it has it equals, and then there's a dollars amount. And I looked at that, and I was like, whoa, is that my net worth? So, so maybe we measure ourselves by what we have, our money, our, our cool toys that we are able to buy, or, or the things that we love. Uh, maybe for some of us, uh, we can also have uh, good health, for example, or, or good looks. And those things obviously can be taken from us. And, and this can even be I have uh, relationships, roles or titles, or, or the family I have. I have a spouse or I have kids. And we allow these things to define who we are way too often. So here's the deal. The timeline of history is broad, and it's spread out, and time keeps on ticking, no matter, it it doesn't stop for us. Time keeps on going, and on the timeline of history, I have a birthday, and I have a death date, right? And then time keeps on going after that. So I, I was born 1990, and uh, my death date, it'll be somewhere, uh, I'll just say 2075, that'll put me at 85, I'll be happy, I might die before then, I might die after then, uh, but 2075 would be great. But, but here's the deal, I really only have a little bit of time in my life to try to figure out the big questions of who am I? And when I value myself, when I answer the question of who am I, but I am what I do, I am what other people say about me, and I am what I have, I end up feeling good about myself when I do something good, and then when someone criticizes me, I go back down, and then, then I try to make myself feel good by the things that I have, or by performing again at some level, and, and pretty soon we're on this zigzag back and forth, feeling good or feeling bad about the way we think about ourselves based on these things. 
But what if that is not the way that God intends us to live? What if who we are, what if our identity is not a status to achieve, but it's a gift to receive from God, our maker? Let's read this from John. Jesus came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to, him, to all who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. If we who accept and believe Jesus, if we are given the right to become children of God, and if this is our true identity, then all those other things don't matter. And the real question is not what can I achieve or what, how can I prove myself, but the real question is can I receive the identity that God has given me? So I uh, like to do woodworking or, or carpentry, you know, as a hobby from time to time, and, and I really love uh, doing uh, this hobby. It, it's fun in a lot of ways. I love drawing, getting to draw plans or, or researching different plans, and then you have to, you know, go by the wood and, and put it together, and, and things come out of this creative process that's, that, that's really fun and energizing to me. And, and, you know, sometimes I make mistakes, but I go back and I try to fix it. And I have a lot of fun with it, uh, partially because I, I get to make cool things for myself and, like, for my family. Like, I've made a, a dining room table with benches for myself, and, and that's really cool. And I've made, like, for my mom and my sister different things. I make mug racks. I make, uh, made my sister a bread box, which was really fun. It was more intricate, and so it was more difficult to make. But, but I love doing this, one, uh, because these things end up being useful, right? Like, they're, they're useful, and, and they're good to use. But, on, but, but more than that, I really just have fun making them, and they end up really being beautiful pieces of work to me. Not just useful, even though they are, but, but really they're, they're beautiful, and, and I'm proud of them. I'm proud of the things that I have made. And here's the deal. We, you and me and all of us, are created beings, right? And God is our creator. So this idea of the, of the self-made person is kind of a goofy idea, even though I do believe we should work at doing our best and, and being our best. Uh, most of who we are was not our choice. What century we lived in, what gender we are, what family we're a part of, all of this when we were born is nothing that I chose, but I have been created by God in certain ways for certain things. And here's the deal. When God created you, and when God created me, like, he was excited about the things that he was making. He, he was excited uh, about your unique traits and your qualities, and he loves how he has made you and how he's made me. We were made on purpose with a purpose, true. And, and like God doesn't make mistakes, like although I could make mistakes on my carpentry, God, like God doesn't make mistakes when he made us. And beyond, uh, we do absolutely have purposes in life, but he also thinks we're like beautiful and he's proud of us. And he thinks we are stunning pieces of creation. 
And again, what I'm talking about is our personality and who God has made us to be and who he's calling us to be. And this is not an excuse to say, well, I can do whatever I want and God loves me. That's not it. It's not okay to just go on and sin. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is who we are is something that God gets excited about. Now, I want you to read this with me if you can, whether you're uh, on, online or in person. Let's read this together out loud. So uh, read this out loud with me. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That's from Ephesians. Paul is saying that. We are God's handiwork. Some other translations come across as God's masterpieces, created to do good works, right? And so my great challenge for us today, and and often I tell people this is probably one of the biggest prayers that you can pray— is to pray to God and to ask God to show you how much he loves you. And now you might say, well, okay, John, I, like, I know God loves me, and I, I know God loves, you know, everybody in, in the same way, but, but I want you to pray that you would really know God's love deep in who you are in an experiential way, not just in a head knowledge way. Because here's the deal. Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to live like this, going back and forth based on all these different things of why I am what I do, I am what others say about me, and I am what I have. Jesus didn't die on the cross for us to live like that. Again, Paul says it like this in Ephesians 3, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's pretty incredible. Henry Nouwen says it like this. He says, My only desire is to make these words reverberate in every corner of your being. You are the beloved child of God. And I love when he says this. He, he does this thing. He says, I want you to hear this not just in your head, but, but down here in your gut and in your heart so that your whole life can be turned around. There's a woman in my church where I came from before at St. Luke. Uh, she was a Christian counselor, and she had this uh, word that she used that she told people over and over again, you're a cog pal. And I want you guys to remember this, so I'm going to invite you to say that with me. Ready? Cog pal. Cog pal. You're a cog pal. And what that stood for was child of God and a person of worth. So, so if I'm a part of the family of God— This is my true identity. This is how God sees us. And again, uh, the real question is, can I receive this? That without regard to what I do, how I perform, or what others say about me, I'm a child of God and a person of worth. So we'll go back to the scripture that we started with, and this is actually a translation from the message, and it says, What marvelous love the Father has extended to us. Just look at it. We're called children of God. My dear children, let us not just talk about love. Let's practice real love. This is the only way we'll know we're living truly, living in God's reality. 
It's also the way to shut down debilitating self-criticism even when there's something to it. And I love that part because most of the time, if, if you're like me, uh, when I criticize, normally there is something to it and if I have self-criticism. For God is greater than our worried hearts and knows more about us than we do ourselves. And friends, once that's taken care of and we're no longer accusing or condemning ourselves, we're bold and free before God. We're able to stretch out and receive what he's asked for because we're doing what he said, doing what pleases him. And, and, and I feel like possibly what someone might criticize this message or, or what I'm talking about today, and, and they might say, well, John, that, that kind of sounds a little bit self-focused. And is this a little bit of a, a narcissistic message about who we are and, and, and all that? And I would say, well, let's look at um, some more scripture. And what Jesus says in Mark again is this. The first in importance is, listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. So love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. And here's the second, love others as well as you love yourself. There's no other commandment that ranks with these. So if we're called to love others as, as well as we love ourselves— Somewhere along the way, we got to learn our true identity and to love ourselves. Although though most seem to put themselves first, this is obviously not the track that God wants us to go on. But this doesn't mean that I always come last and that I don't have value and that I don't add worth to the world, right? Henry Nouwen, again, says it like this, You were sent into this world to believe in yourself as God's beloved— and then to help your brothers and sisters know that they also are beloved sons and daughters of God who belong together. And, and so here's the deal. Here, here's my response is that the more I get to know God and, and the more that we get to know God on this journey, the more that I absolutely know and the more that I realize how much God loves me as an individual but, but more than that, the more I get to know God, the more I come to this great understanding about how much God loves each and every other person that walks on this earth as well. And that love is the love that changes me, that transforms me, and sets me free. Living out of this identity of God's child, loved by him and a person of worth, sets me free from self focus, and it sets me free to love others the way that God has called me to. And so this message has a, has a lot to do with my journey as well, and in my leadership journey, I've learned this over the course of time, because you see, as I was growing up and in, in, in my younger years, I, I was probably, I was a pretty quiet guy, and I still am quiet, and I won't I like that about myself. You know, if you're an introvert, you understand that. You, you like the, the quiet. And so, um, but I was more of a quiet guy. And even when we have conversations at church or around scripture or, or, or what Christian community really is, I, I never really spoke up. And part of, um, and, and I think uh, there were a couple reasons uh, that caused me not really to speak up. And the first one is that I didn't really want to cause conflict. Like, I didn't want to disagree with anyone. And, and I was afraid that if I said something, someone didn't like, it, it would create, you know, all this, like, angst in me. And, and so I was, I, I'll just avoid that, you know. Uh, I don't need to say anything, and we'll just all get along, right? And that was that. And the second reason was, uh, again, I was very much a perfectionist. So 
I was afraid that if I said something that was just a little bit off or a little bit not exactly what I meant to say, uh, that people would look at me as if I was stupid and, and would just brush me aside and say, well, that John guy, he doesn't know what he's talking about. And so this is the way I generally lived, and then, uh, but then God comes along, right? And he's working in my life, and he kind of gives me this sense and, and this idea that maybe like, uh, John, you're called to something more that it might be some type of leadership position and maybe uh, some type of pastoral role that you're going to have to, you know, go to seminary to, for or, or something along those guy, lines. And um, my response, you know, at first to God is one of like, um, I'm standing there and I'm like, are you talking to me or are you talking to that person back there, God? Because you know, I, I don't really feel, I, I just, one, I just don't feel like I'm really that good. Like, I'm, I'm not really good enough for that God, right? And then, on top of that, like, I don't know if I bring anything uh, that's unique or super valuable to something like that, or, and, and I just don't think, like, I, yeah, I don't know that I would bring any value to the world. And God's response to that is his response I think, to all of us. And what he said to me was, John, don't you tell me that what I've created in you is not good enough or valuable to share with the world. Don't you dare tell me that what I've created in you and what I am creating in you is not valuable to share with the Lord, with the world. And though I will make lots of mistakes in leadership, and there'll be conflict to deal with, and not everyone will always be happy, I know that God is with me, and that my leadership is about Him, and it's, and it's not really about me, but it's what He has made in me, and what He has created me to be, and how He is creating me. And this, understanding God's great love for me, sets me free in my leadership, not only because I know that my voice is valuable, but because I can now see and I now know how much God values each and every person the way that he values me. And as a leader, it's my job to give voice to the voiceless, to stand up for righteousness, and to empower others to speak up and to lead out of who God has called them to be and who God is creating them to be. Because everyone is valuable and has something to offer. So as we uh, finish up, and Eric's going to come up and lead us in a song, I just invite you to reflect over these questions. What would it take to live free of self-doubt and fear? And what do I need to do in order to develop my relationship with God so that I can live out of the truth of who he says that I am? Let's pray.